0: Arizona. mixtape just around the corner Did a lot in California Can't wait to drop this on you
1: Hello and welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. It is Thursday, November 24th, 2022. Happy Thanksgiving to one and all, and especially those of you joining in on the the live stream of YouTube uh, tonight. Thank you for spending part of your Thanksgiving with us. Mr. Hamilton and Mr. Mark Daly here. Hammy, how are you tonight, sir?
0: I am doing fantastic, my friend. Thank you so much for, for asking to everybody south of the 49th parallel. Uh, happy Thanksgiving. I hope you guys have a f- fantastic day with your friends and your family. And I hope you have uh, a productive shopping weekend because of course, the day <laughs> after Thanksgiving is Black Friday, Black Friday. by Cyber Monday. So hopefully there's yeah. some great deals out there and inflation hasn't impacted those hot electronics you've Ugh. been eyeing for the last eight months too badly. But dude, again, thank you
1: so much, man. I'm doing great. What about you? Yeah, doing good, thanks. I was just thinking, you know, Thanksgiving, even though, you know, we celebrated Thanksgiving in Canada here about what, about four or five weeks ago, American Thanksgiving right. for me is like it kind of sort of kicks off the the whole holiday season. Cause I guess what will be the next big one? It will be Hanukkah in a couple of weeks. I guess so, right? Sort of the beginning of de- December, I think. You know, I haven't, uh, don't have the calendar off the top of my head, but such a great time uh, of year. There's so many wonderful traditions and celebrations going on. So. Yeah, I'm just a little jealous. I didn't get any turkey today, but uh, that that's soon to come with Christmas, just only less, well, just a, a month uh, today. Well, tomorrow, actually, 25th. But uh, yeah, so no Formula One anymore. That's kind of weird, but. Well, there is. I mean, there's still plenty to talk about. But the the, the season officially wrapping up last Sunday in uh, Abu Dhabi. And just to, to recap, the 2022 Formula One World Championship and the Drivers' uh, Championship, we had uh, Max Verstappen finishing 454 points ahead of Charles Leclerc, who had 308. Sergio Perez was three points behind with 305. George Russell, 275. Carlos Sainz, 246, six points ahead of Lewis Hamilton, who had 240. And then just, uh, running down the top five in the Constructors' Championship, Red Bull, 759 for I-55. Five- I'm sorry 554 points mercedes 515 alpine 173 and mclaren rounding out the top five in the constructors with 159 but hammy boy where, where did that season go it uh it, it feels like it went really really quick but when i kind of was going back and kind of going down one by one and just reflecting back on the season what that that was and some other like personal events and things that that coincided with races throughout the season i was kind of like Wow, some of those things seem like a really, really long time ago. Now if i go back to like March or April or May of, uh, of this year. But um, just in general, seems like it's it's gone really, really quick.
0: Definitely. And I, I think one of the things I should mention before I kind of delve into one of my uh, lengthy preambles is one of the things that makes us special relative to a lot of the other Formula One podcasts out there is we will be here at least once a week every week between now and winter testing. We are not going anywhere. If you want a break from us, too bad. We will be dropping our Friday news show and we've got a ton (laughs) of exciting stuff coming up as well, including the fact that we're going to be doing our very first off-topic show this coming Sunday, probably dropping Monday or Tuesday, which should be a lot of fun. And We've had tons of questions and feedback from the audience. So If you just want to learn a little bit more about us and some of our passions and interests and and things like that, you can definitely tune into that. But It was an interesting championship. I, I I think in in a couple of ways that, It was always going to be intriguing from the jump simply because we had a new set of regulations and we had some driver changes. Last year, though, it's kind of set the bar for anticipation and climax and suspension that the season was never going to be able to hit. And, you know, we're pretty open with our audience. And I think it speaks to the fact that I think generally the broader interest in the sport sort of started tapering off somewhere around the summer break because the championship was all but decided. I think, though, one of the things you and I tried to do so much is even if the championship Is largely wrapped up. Like, look, there's still a ton of other really interesting things happening in the world of Formula One, whether it's driver drama, contract drama, or even Mm -hmm. just the future of the 2026 engine regulations, which we're going to get into here. But for all of you that might be thinking about taking a break from Formula One for a couple of months, I encourage you not to. We're going to keep coming back every week with great content and lots of news. And again, I want to thank all of you as well. And it's probably a little bit early because we've still got five weeks left in the year, but daily this was our biggest year ever already in terms of Just total crazy. downloads yeah. for the show and we can keep building on that so to everybody that is listening and has listened and thank you or thank you for all the support because it means the yeah, world to both absolutely. of us
1: yeah thank you so much uh, it's been an outstanding year for for this show and uh looking forward to Well, getting a little bit of rest. I I must admit that I love the fact that we're going to do an off topic show because it requires almost zero prep compared to like a normal (laughs) show. (laughs) Relatively speaking, right? But uh, yeah, it's going to be fun. I mean, the, you know, we get to do in the off season cover some different things that don't necessarily always fit in. During the rest of the year, and you've done a great job all season long with the, with the interview series, tracking down and speaking with some fa- some fantastic people in the the motorsport world, not always necessarily Formula One related, but I mean, they, they've been so enjoyable. But, but even apart from those, there's other things that we want to talk about that don't even necessarily fit in the molds that can uh, I, you know, be tacked on into one of these sort of like bonus right, weekly shows. Right, right, right. So that's going to be fun to kind of do some of the things that we've we've wanted to do that have been on the side burner, basically all all season long on the to do list. But um, yeah, I was I was
0: talking last night to one of our great listeners from Texas, uh, Joe Santucci. and we were we were talking a little bit about the show. And by the way, shout out to Joe. He and his wife had a baby on the eleventh of November. Oh, Congratulations. Awesome but, awesome. but I was talking about the fact that, There's so much more you and I want to do. We're just so time starved. So I think one of the things that I've been doing is really trying to map out the next couple of months in terms of what we're going to do with the show. So we we will be here every week, but we do still have some interview series shows coming up. In fact, we have a young driver Mm -hmm. um, that has agreed to come back on the show for another interview, and she's going to bring her dad, who was a big part of her development in motorsports growing up. So that should be a that should be a fun podcast as well, but we've got lots and lots of really good stuff, uh, lots of good stuff coming up.
1: So do we tell them now that we're also, yeah, just because we're, we're completely about the numbers and stuff like that, that I'm going to interview one week, you're going to tr- interview me, you know, just, no, I'm just kidding, that's <laughs> kind of... <laughs> but I guess we're kind of that, doing that in a way where we do the off-topic, the off-topic show. Yeah, show. yeah. yeah. I, so yeah, I was, I, by I the kinda, way, I've yeah. started putting together
0: the agenda for that, and some of oh, the boy. topics so oh, far boy. include your favorite chicken sandwich... Your favorite okay. '90s TV sitcom. I'm like, I'm going oh, deep wow. here. Um, it's your most hilarious moment with one of your children. So people are going to learn a lot about us, and it'll probably also help illustrate just how old we are relative to much of our audience. But my friend, I have people oh, that man, have been that asking
1: that '90s and, sitcom one. Go on. I'm thinking about that one already, just to uh, to to, to go off topic. So uh, obvious. Uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, there's there's so many we could do with that, but you know what? I, i'm gonna i'm gonna stop it right there and, and i'm gonna tease everyone you, about yeah, that people have to come you have to come back yeah 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 don't do want to give out the good the, the good material before we even sit down definitely, and do the off topic show <laughs> we're teasing
0: i think this is what we call like a professional tease so my favorite chicken sandwich is tune in next monday to find out but dude before we go on you gave a championship update but we have people dying to know the final f1 fantasy yes league yes super standings should i I share them. I'm going to go in reverse order today. So remember the top okay. three finishers are going to get prizes. So if you are in fact, one of the top three, cause I'm having trouble identifying two of them on our Twitter followers list. But if you are one of the top three, please reach out to us via Twitter DM and we'll organize to get you your prize. Starting number 10 from the UK, Daffy A, number eight. Wow. Merck Stappen. Number eight, tied for number eight from the UK, Marshall W. Number seven, Radic W. Number six, Brian W. Number five, Thadis F. And number four, Janko West. And here we go, breaking into the top three. Number three, Whitman R. from the UK. Number two, Aaron K. And finally, number one, we should all have expected this, Andrew T just ultimately decimated the field. So we kept talking about how close it was. Well, it was close up until the last two races. He finishes the season about 150 points ahead of the second place, Aaron K. So congratulations to all three of you. Thank you to the 23, almost 2,300 people that competed in the Fantasy League this year. That was unbelievable. I finished 356, so not particularly well. We'll definitely reboot this next year. It was a lot of fun. But for the three of you, please reach out to us via Twitter DM so we can make some arrangements for you.
1: Cool. And next year, I'll have to make sure that I... Submit a team to our own fantasy league because this year yeah, I was caught. Yeah, that, that was just embarrassing. It's just like you reminded me plenty of times and then I'm like, I'm going to sit down and like, oh shoot the deadline passed, and I'm not going to be able to register for the podcast's official fantasy league. That's uh not, not one of my, my, my better moments, but oh, well, there you go. There's always next year. Okay. Moving right along then. 101 days until the 2023 Bahrain Grand Prix. And if you're looking for something to do in those 101 days, the, the perfect thing to do is uh, get in on the, the race weekend magazine. Uh, Magnus uh, Greaves and his team, good friends and supporters of uh, this show and uh, use our uh, promo code, uh, Scuderia pod, get 10% off great uh, Christmas gift for that formula one fan out there. So we'll just uh, throw that out. And Well, I've sort of gotten ahead of uh, ourselves here because we already mentioned the off-topic program uh, dropping in a couple of days. So let's go on to some records. So Max and Red Bull broke quite a few records this past year in 2022. So most wins by a driver in a season, Max, was uh, 15. You remember back in the day when there was like 16 races in a season? That's just insane. Yeah, it wasn't that
0: long ago. It wasn't that long ago. Relatively,
1: right? Yeah, that's insane. So most uh, points by a driver in a championship uh, with uh, Max's 454. Largest points deficit over term to become champion. Max Verstappen again with 46. Wins from the most different grid slots in a year, seven. Most wins in a season outside of pole position, nine. And most consecutive finishes in the top two, Red Bull, who had 19. Wow, that is... That is that's crazy. Those are some mind blowing Mercedes style stats. So it's going to be really really interesting uh, next year. What with uh, them having that, uh, you know, the penalty imposed on it for the cost cap uh, overspend, plus the right. automatic yeah, reduction and all the testing and development that they can do in just in general, and the fact that we've kind of seen Mercedes and Ferrari kind of well, I mean, at different times uh, during the year, they've kind of. Kind of had some glimpses. So going into 2023, get another, well, one year with these new cars under our belts, it could become a very, very, very interesting season in 2023. The the by the way, shout out to motorsport.com
0: for those statistics and also from motorsports.com, despite the fact that Red Bull absolutely raked up, racked up. I think it's it's not raked, it's racked up. Is that what you say? Racked, racked up. up. Yes, it is. The fact that yep. they racked up a ton of great records and accomplishments this year, there were some that got away. So here's a couple of the they, they just missed. The biggest championship winning margin, the record is 155 points. That was Sebastian Vettel over Fernando Alonso in that incredibly dominant 2013 season. Of course, this year, Max beat mm-hmm. Charles Leclerc by 146 points, who so just missed that record by nine points. Uh, the most wins in a year by a constructor the record for wins was 19 wins of 21 races that was Mercedes in that 2016 season of course that battle between Nico Rosberg and Lewis Hamilton this year of course like you just said they scored 17 wins in 22 races uh, and then most points in a year by a constructor the record was of course Mercedes that same year 2016 they scored an astonishing 765 points and again that was a wow. 19, or sorry 21 race season and of course Course, this year in a 22 race season, Red Bull scored 759 points. So a couple of couple of records that were just outside their grasp.
1: Yeah, yeah. Wow. Amazing, though. Just to and to hear those other records are really, really mind-blowing as well. So before we get into some of the news tonight, let's just, uh, now that the dust has sort of started to settle after the end of the season, and Silly Season is uh, officially over until, well, basically three days from now, we'll it'll boot up again for next year, who's going where and who's out of contract and all that fun stuff. But confirmed for 2023, Red Bull will field uh, Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez. Ferrari also unchanged with uh, Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz. Mercedes also unchanged with Lewis Hamilton and George Russell. Over McLaren, you're going to have Lando Norris and Oscar Piastri, who's sliding in to replace Danny Ricardo. Over at Alfa Romeo, still the same with Valtteri Bottas and Guan Yu Zhou. And then Pierre Gasly and Esteban Alcon, new pairing at Alpine. And then over at Alpha Tauri, Nick DeFries will partner Yuki Sonotos So another new pairing there. Another new pair of drivers is the the Journeymen of Kevin Magnuson and Nico Hulkenberg at Haas. <laughs> and Fernando Alonso will partner up with Lance Stroll at Aston Martin. And then finally, uh, Logan Sargent will partner up with Nick. Uh, sorry, uh, Alex Albon over at uh, Williams. And so we'll a lot talk of new a little faces. bit about Logan
0: Sargent later in this yes. podcast
1: awesome so another uh, interesting uh, little bit of news to filter out uh, via Adam Stern Uh, apparently uh, the president over at the the Vegas Grand Prix and CEO Steve Hill thinks that there might actually be a possibility to host a NASCAR street race on the Vegas Strip with uh, along with some other events if the F1 race in Vegas next year which will debut for the first time is a a success so this could be very very interesting I mean is is, as intrigued as and as excited as I am to see Formula One rumbling around the streets of uh, downtown uh, Las Vegas down on the Strip, I have to admit that the thought of NASCAR, and I'm not even really very familiar or necessarily a fan of NASCAR at <laughs> I'm very, very intrigued by, the, uh, by, by this prospect. So I don't know, Hammy, if uh, th- this will actually come off, but what do you think about that? Is that something uh, you'd be interested in or excited to watch?
0: Yeah, very much so. I think NASCAR is doing some interesting things to broaden its appeal. And I don't know if you saw, but they ran an exhibition earlier this year in the LA Coliseum, which is just incredible. But I think expanding their scope, getting into new markets and experimenting with more road courses is something that they're looking to broaden their appeal. And of course, we've talked earlier this year. And of course, when we had Amber Belkin on the show, we talked about all of the things that they're doing to diversify their audience and diversify the folks that are getting in the car to to drive those stock yeah, cars around yeah. the track and around the street so yeah kudos to nascar because they're being very very creative and they're trying to find ways to broaden their appeal and and grow their sport which is really cool to see
1: yeah absolutely And just uh quickly here before because i know we're going to talk about fernando in a minute but uh, connie in the live chat uh, just asked uh, what's the over under and how many races before fernando and lance gets toxic next season. Winter testing.
0: Winter testing,
1: I was going to say that, but I thought even by my standards that was too overly cynical, oh, but you stole I, the words have, literally right out of my mouth.
0: <laughs> I have some thoughts about, about uh, Fernando and Stroll, but we're going to talk about Fernando a little bit later, so I'll save them yeah, for then.
1: Save it for then. Okay, just to kind of wipe the slate clean here, then uh, according to Joe Pompliano, the average Formula One race this past season had 1.21 million viewers in the US, which is new viewership record in 2020, that was 607K. 21 was 949,000 per race. And then this year, was 1.21 million, which is uh, just uh, amazing. So compare that to uh, NASCAR, average uh, race of viewership of the USA is 3 million. Indy is 1.3, and that, uh, 1.3 million, pardon me, and that uh, includes the uh, Indy 500. So very, very in- interesting there. Yeah, just to so, add no,
0: the reason, and I'll add on, to that yeah, real quick too, because I thought I did a little bit more half-assed internet research on this one, but American races are super important. So the average was 1.21, Miami drew 2.6, Canada drew one. 1.4, CODA drew 1.6, and Mexico drew, I think, somewhere in the range of 1.2 million. So that number is impressive because almost all... Formula One races are in Europe or Asia or the Middle East, which aren't even remotely in a North American time zone. So the fact that they average 1.2 million races when there's only five races currently in the continent is is pretty impressive, right? Like NASCAR 3 million, that's great, but every single race happens in one of the three North American time zones. So that's a pretty impressive number and it continues to grow.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Hey, why don't we just uh, break a little bit early here? Because um, coming up, uh, we're going to talk about uh, 2026. So this is something I think we're going to probably want to dive into. So just hang on for a moment, guys. So we're going to take a quick break and just step away from a word from our sponsors. So don't go away. We'll be back on the flip side. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive All right, welcome back. And it is time to talk about, uh, well, who else? Porsche and Honda. So... Um, we had a deadline passed just about over a month ago uh, with the, uh, the the deadline for new registrants uh, for the new uh, engine formula coming in 2026. So at the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, FIA President uh, Mohammed bin Suleim proudly announced, quote, two more have signed and uh, others will follow, end quote. So Mercedes and Red Bull uh, powertrains confirmed a day later that uh, they are on board for 2026. So there was a second uh, registration uh, deadline that expired on November t- uh, 15th and um, bin Sulaim's that, yeah, it's kind of a deadline, but that uh, that this deadline date is somewhat fluid and uh, moving. So, uh, you know, it is a complex set of rules that um, all the potential uh, entries and all the teams and manufacturers have to study carefully. Uh, Renault's been looking at it. Alpine uh, boss uh, Laurent Rossi announced that uh, Renault will be signing up in the next uh, couple of weeks after they have some legal questions uh, clarified. So Ferrari isn't quite there just yet. Uh, Maranello said that they see see the need for uh, renegotiations. Not only some of the financial issues, but also the uh, the increased entry fee and the price of customer area, uh, engines. Ferrari is worried about whether or not the FIA can uh, actually fairly control the budget cap for everyone and how newcomers will be uh, preferred and what status Red Bull powertrains will get if Red Bull's new engine factory joins forces or partners up with another engine mach- uh, manufacturer at uh, some point. So uh, RB powertrains is about 90% certain to be joining up at, uh, at some point, but... Um, so it's interesting, though, because uh, Ferrari wants to know, for example, what happens if uh, RB Power Chains, um has some sort of partnership or some sort of, you know, or just gets together with, uh, with Honda in 2026 and uh, what, what's going on there. So Honda is expected to be signing up for this new engine formula from 2026. And, you know, this is, uh, you know, interesting to see what, what's going to happen because, I mean, they've sort of been in- out and in and then out and in again. Anyways, uh, there's also a bit of a rumor that, uh, that Ford might uh, be partnering up with Red Bull. So Hammy, this is kind of, um, I, I know you love all this sort of stuff, so why don't you pick it up from here? Yeah. First of all,
0: shout out to you. The fact that you're reading and translating a story from a German magazine on the fly is pretty impressive. So shout out to to Michael Schmidt at <laughs> AMUS for this. But yeah, so we had a deadline just like you spoke to. Originally, it was October and it got bumped to November. And any manufacturer that was intending to to provide or to produce power units for the 2026 season, which is when the new engine regulations come in, they had to commit by a certain deadline. And just like you said, the FIA, Liberty are super fluid and they're super flexible on this because it behooves them to get as many manufacturers in as possible. And what we know so far is Audi was the first to commit, Mercedes committed, Red Bull Powertrains committed, Renault is about to commit, and Ferrari's kind of teetering because they want to kind of dot their dot their T or dot their I's and cross their T's. But what's expected now is that honda is absolutely going to commit to the 2026 power unit uh formula there is not a an immediate association to a team uh we know that they probably will not partner with red bull powertrains which is remarkable because of course they're going to continue to supply red bull powertrains with powertrains with engines right until the end of the 2025 season but a honda it looks like will be coming back to f1 so at the end of 2020 you and i were sitting here we were We were crying. We were weeping that Honda was leaving the sport. Here they are on the verge of recommitting to Formula 1 for the 2026 season when, of course, we're going to have highly electrified engines and, and engines that run solely on synthetic fuel. So that is incredible. Now... The, the intriguing part about this, of course, is not that Honda is coming back and there's no expectation that they're going to come back as a manufacturer, although, of course, that's always possible. But the expectation is that they're going to come back as a supplier to a team and possibly partner with one of the existing teams on the grid in a works partnership. So when you look at the teams that are currently being supplied engines from another manufacturer, of course, you have Haas, who's getting their power unit from Ferrari. That relationship's not about to change. We know Sauber is now a... partner and will be the works team for Audi. So that's not a good fit. We have McLaren who's buying their engines from Mercedes. And we know that's not in their best interest because of course they have to develop a car and build an aerodynamic philosophy that's compatible with the engine that's being fed to them. So McLaren could be an interesting partner for Honda. And of course, if you told us that six years ago, we would never in a million years believe that that could be the case. (laughs) And of course, Williams would love to have a works partnership with a manufacturer like Honda. So I would expect that if Honda comes back, it would probably be in a partnership with McLaren, a partnership with Williams. And I wouldn't even say a partnership with Aston Martin would be completely impossible, but very, very intriguing. And then the other piece that you commented on as well is, and we've been hinting at this for a couple of weeks now, that there was an American manufacturer that had been sniffing around the FIA in some of these meetings because they were curious or interested in getting involved. And if Ford comes in and they link up with Red Bull and Red Bull Powertrains, uh, their role could be pretty small. It could just be adding some technical expertise and some funding and some financing Mm -hmm. and helping to support from the electrification side. Because we know that Red Bull Powertrains currently has 300 people working in their factory, working in their power unit factory in Milton Keynes, just on the internal combustion engine. And they have an operating internal combustion engine already. So Ford was able to come in and add some funding and expertise to help with the electrification of that power unit, that could be pretty cool. So very, very interesting. And of course, Porsche, who has not yet committed could still, although it seems based on some of the feedback coming from Germany, that they're probably no longer interested in developing their own power unit, that they would probably just rebadge something that's produced by Audi or do something in Mm. collaboration with Audi. But there's still a possibility that Porsche commits. So we could have Audi, Mercedes, Red Bull, Renault, Ferrari, Honda, Ford, Porsche, like we could have six, seven different engine manufacturers on the grid, which would be simply incredible. And what that could do, what that should do, is significantly increase competitive balance. Because the challenge today is if you are a customer team and you are buying your power unit from another manufacturer, the likelihood that you're going to win a championship, any championship, is very, very, very low. Because the Mm -hmm. Development of that power unit should be in close collaboration with the development of the car itself. And if you're McLaren or if you're Williams, you're basically having a power unit thrust upon you and you have no input into its design, you have no input into its characteristics or its cooling package. Basically, you have to build a car to accommodate somebody else's power unit. And that's not a desirable state. So if McLaren was partnered with Honda or Williams was partnered with Honda, you effectively get an extra works team on the grid, which would be very cool. So all of this is is very, very exciting. The other thing that I should mention as well is there's a little bit of anxiety anxiety in the paddock about Red Bull powertrains. And by that, what I mean is, When a manufacturer is developing one of these 2026 power units, they're they're being given an allocation of money that they can spend in 2023, 24, and 25 to develop these power units, right? So if I am Ferrari, if I am Red Bull Powertrains, if I am Williams, outside of the cost cap, outside of the money that the teams can spend building a car, the actual engine manufacturers- The engine suppliers, the power unit suppliers also have a cost cap. And that cost cap is significant in 23, significant in 25, and it declines somewhat for 2025. So these teams are being given budgets of tens of billions of dollars a year for the next couple of years to develop these power units. Now, what the FIA and Liberty is trying to do is create concessions for new engine suppliers. So for instance, if an engine supplier like, I don't know, um, Hyundai came along or Ford came along and they wanted to develop their own power unit, the FIA would give them concessions which would mean that they would have additional funds available to them in 23, 24, and 25 to invest in developing that power unit Plus, they would get extra dino hours, and dino hours are the engine equivalent of wind tunnel time. So for these new engine suppliers, they're being incentivized to get involved in the sport because they're giving extra funding and extra dino hours to develop those power units. Now, what's happening is Ferrari and some of the established teams are a little bit frustrated with Red Bull because Red Bull is presenting Red Bull power units as a new entry and believe that they should get the additional funding as part of their increased power unit cost cap. Mm that these established manufacturers aren't. So there's a little bit of anxiety because Ferrari saying, no, 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 Red Bull powertrains. 2026 isn't your first year in the sport. 2022 was the first year in the sport because technically your engines are badged Red Bull powertrains and you have a factory employing people. So there could be a little bit of conflict there where Red Bull saying, hey, no, we're new for 2026. And Ferrari and Mercedes and some of these other established teams saying, no, 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 no. Technically, you are not a new entity for 2026, even though, of course, their 23, 24, 25 power units are effectively being supplied out of Japan from Honda.
1: Yeah, I know. And I think that's where they're going to try and play that kind of like gray area, right? Is that uh, the the, the fact that they're like, okay, that this is basically a rebadged Honda engine until the end of 2025. And we're not allowed to carry that IP forward that basically that that's overdone with as of December 31st, 2025. And then we're on our own from, from after there. So you can kind of see how both sides are going to play it, totally. right? Which, which yeah. by
0: the way, is another reason those Honda badges suddenly miraculously reappeared on those cars, on the Red Bulls at the Japanese Grand, yeah. Grand Prix. Because they yeah. need to be able to provide evidence and proof that this is, in fact, an engine supply deal and that Red Bull powertrains isn't really associated with the power units that are in the current cars.
1: Well, I mean that that's nothing new. I mean, a uh, couple of years ago, they had uh, Renault engines rebadged as TAG Hoyer, right? And, of and I mean, th- this is it, yeah. And this has been something that's uh, been done in Formula One for for a very, very long time. So be interesting to see how that uh, unfolds, but also equally interesting to see what uh, perhaps uh, Ford uh, might uh, do. I mean, I know like uh, you were saying that it just uh, might be sort of like a little bit of technical uh, support here and there, but be interesting to see if they could, uh, you know, if they wanted to scale it up from there. And also apparently Hyundai isn't completely out of the picture yet. I mean, that's a name that keeps uh, popping up, but I suppose uh, what, what I've been reading, anyways, is that it's not likely that they would enter before twenty twenty seven, and apparently they would have to. I, I believe their quote unquote deadline is June thirtieth, uh, twenty twenty three. So they've got about six or seven months to to make up their mind to uh, decide whether or not they're going to to get on board with that uh, for for twenty twenty seven. Okay, moving along. So Formula One has announced an all women's uh, an all new all women series to begin in twenty twenty three so this is a uh, you know this is good this is great news because the the w series Obviously, did not make it all the way through the uh, the, the season. They canceled the last uh, several races because of a uh, lack of funding. And uh, it's I think this is great news. So they've officially announced the formation of all new uh, uh, sorry a new all women series, which will begin in twenty twenty three. The F one Academy will be run and financially backed by the sports new owners Formula One management, with the intent of helping more young women progress in motors racing and ultimately into Formula One. So the new championship will have five teams. Each team will have three drivers uh, and that will uh, be run by existing competitors in the uh, existing F1 feeder series, so Formula 2 and Formula 3. And the calendar will be seven races with uh, three races at each event. And the calendar has not been uh, confirmed, but it'll be uh, expected to include at least one event coinciding with a Formula One uh, weekend. So, uh, Formula One CEO Stefano De Melacali had to say, quote, everyone should have the opportunity to follow their dreams and achieve their potential. And Formula One wants to ensure that we're doing everything we can to create uh, greater diversity and roots into this incredible sport. End quote. So there you go. So they've also announced that uh, the new series will be using the Tatis uh, T421 chassis with a turbocharged engine, 165 hor- uh, horsepower, and the combination uh, equivalent to, to those used in Formula, sorry, and Formula 4 championships across Europe. Very, very cool, Hammy. Yeah, this what, is what do you fantastic. Think? I'd be- Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, it's funny
0: because clearly this would have been in the works uh, a month or two ago when you and I were sitting here bemoaning the fact that the W Series season collapsed because of the lack of financial resources. So this is good. Now, just to be ultra clear, this is not designed to compete with. It is not designed to replace the W Series. It is designed to complement the W Series. So we talk about the W Series effectively representing, say, from a machinery perspective, an F3 quality championship like you. Just mentioned, these will be 165 horsepower turbocharged cars that would be better. Better, I, I would say better compared to a Formula 4 car, but what this series is designed to do is fill in that gap between karting and the W Series or karting and F3. And I think this has generally been identified as one of the biggest gaps in the development of young women when it comes to open wheel racing, that sometimes they're very competitive in karting, but there's nowhere for them to go from there or there are less opportunities. Even the W Series is a huge jump from from karting. So this is designed to identify talent young women and give them the opportunity to compete in a partially subsidized series. So It looks like the actual cost per racer is about $300,000 a year. Uh, $150,000 of that will be subsidized by F1. So If you are identified and you are offered a seat in this championship, cost all in is about $300,000 a year. F1 will subsidize $150,000 of that. The driver still needs to supply the rest of that either out of their own bank account or through funding and sponsorships that they bring with them. So when we often talk about pay driving or pay drivers in Formula One, trust me, everyone in F4, F3, and F2, they are all pay drivers because they do not get paid to drive and they only get a seat if they bring funding with them. And the same will be the case here. So this is Ultimately, very, very cool. Uh, Jessica Hawkins was interviewed by Top Gear earlier this week about this as well. Um, She is extremely optimistic, not only about the return of W Series, but she believes that this is going to be a terrific, terrific championship, and it will be a great step in helping to get a woman into a position where she can compete in Formula One, which is really, really cool.
1: Yeah, and Jessica Hawkins, of course, uh, a guest on this program earlier this uh, summer. So very cool. Okay, so moving along to uh, Red Bull, they have now officially confirmed that uh, Daniel Ricciardo will return to the team for for next year in the role of a reserve driver or third driver, whatever you want to call it. Uh, anyways, uh Danny Ricciardo had to say, quote, the smile says it all. I'm truly excited to be coming home, back home to Oracle Red Bull Racing as their third driver in 2023. I already have so many fond memories of my time here, but uh, the welcome from Christian Horner and Dr. Helmut Marko and from the entire team is something i'm sincerely appreciative of for me personally the ability to contribute and be surrounded by the best team in formula one is hugely appealing whilst also give me some time to recharge and refocus i can't wait to, to be with the team and support with simulator work testing sessions and commercial activities let's go there you go so uh what do you think of this one uh, hammy uh it's not quite the race seats the, the, the one sort of like key phrase that I pulled out of that one was a recharge and a refocus. Is this sort of like Daniel's uh, attempt to sort of stay sort of on the radar yeah. or as best he can? Yeah, Perfect. Perfect way to explain this. One, this is a win-win
0: deal for Red Bull and let me explain in a minute, but also a win-win deal for Daniel Ricciardo. And it's a win for Daniel Ricciardo because to not be on the grid at all and not be in the paddock at all for an entire season when you're in your mid-30s could be the death blow to your career. So for Daniel Ricciardo to not be on the grid, but be in and around a world-class organization like Red Bull Racing for an entire year is, is a phenomenal opportunity for him. He gets to reboot. He's familiar with the team, the engineers, the mechanics, the leadership. He's familiar with the factory, the personnel at the factory. This will be very much a homecoming for him. Of course, he won, I think, seven races, six races with Red Bull during his time there leading up to the end of 2018. So I think this is a huge win for him. Like you said, it could be a reboot. It could be a way to freshen his career and put him in a really good state of mind. And I just think it'll also help for him to be around world-class capable machinery and to be able to go on the track and practice sessions and in winter testing, driving one of the best cars in Formula One. And it will really give us a good sense of where he is because we'll be able to index Mm -hmm. his times against, of course, uh, his new teammates, Sergio Perez and, and Max Verstappen. And for Red Bull, I think this is an incredibly big win because as much, I think, as Sergio Perez is liked throughout Mexico and through parts of North America and is himself very likable, I think that the team as a whole has a PR image problem. And that stems back, of course, to the outcome of last year's championship, the fact that Christian Horner, and especially Helmut Marko, don't particularly resonate with younger fans. Um, Of course, the cost cap issue, the recent PR nightmare that happened in Brazil when Max Verstappen Mm -hmm. wouldn't follow team orders, like this all of a sudden is a marketing dream for Red Bull because they can now march Daniel Ricard out at press events and media events and winter testing. He can be in the paddock on a Grand Prix weekend doing interviews, talking about the team's progress and the success of his teammates. Like this is just a PR dream and a marketing dream for Red Bull racing. So I think it's a win for Daniel Ricciardo. He gets to be around a world-class organization, perhaps get some seat time, be in the sim. And it's also a big win for Red Bull because it helps to soften their image um, in light of some of the damaging PR circumstances that have surrounded this team in the last few months and years.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I think that uh, there was uh, an interesting uh, c- uh, couple of quotes here, actually quite an extensive quote uh, from Danny Ricardo in a conversation he had uh, with uh, Speed Cafe. And he said uh, the following, quote, to make things crystal clear, I'm still not on the grid next year. So this is prior to the confirmation of uh, this third driver role at Red Bull. And he said, Danny goes on to say, quote, uh, but look, it's certainly a-, a way to still stay involved and give me the time to take a necessary uh, to take a step back. And It has been no secret to myself. As the second half of the season went on, I just needed to step away for a bit, rebuild myself, reset a bit, and also just find the intense love for it. Because at this level, if you don't have that, that I'm not doing justice for myself or anyone around me. I'm not saying I've lost it, but I'm in fear of losing it. Obviously, a race drive is the best thing if I want to stay. You know, that's the surest thing. It just uh, became more and more clear that I couldn't be doing 24 races next year. It just wasn't going to, I think, be the right thing for, for me. I think it would have uh, probably just worn me out more than anything. And it's at a point where I felt just a little exhausted, where I just needed to slow my year down. And at this level of sport, that is dangerous. You can't be operating at 99% even so I really felt I was in fear of not being at my best if I did another year obviously there were great talks with other teams and I was like okay if I'm not on the grid at least let me al- be aligned with the top team end quote so there you Daily, go I, I yeah, quite read. interesting right
0: I got to read a yeah, quote yeah, or a, t- a quote. I got to read a tweet here from Elizabeth Blackstock because it has me grinning ear to ear. So she tweeted yesterday and I quote, Red Bull Racing hiring Daniel Ricardo as their quote, unquote, quote, unquote, quote, unquote, quote, unquote, quote, unquote reserve driver just to send him out <laughs> to do promo stuff is the ultimate PR move. Changed my mind. And then she follows that up with, if Red Bull Racing had Daniel Ricardo on the team this year, they'd have sent him out to do a photo shoot with a whole slew of puppies after the Brazil team orders fiasco. And that would have been <laughs> the only thing we talked about. So yes like this is a perfect decoy like hey you know what we have a a team orders incidents in Brazil look Daniel Ricardo with puppies and it would completely distract us from what's happening on the track so, <laughs> so kudos to Elizabeth for making me smile
1: yeah, that that's uh, that that's really really good. I mean, that's uh, that that's a top level twitter twittered right there, right? Yeah, but I, I mean, going back to Danny himself, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think it's really interesting. I mean, he is taking um, you know time away from the sport. I mean, let's say at best, it's a, it's a year out. I mean, it's been done by other people. Let's uh, let's take a look. Um, Alex Albon, Estaba- Ke- yeah, Kevin Alcon, yeah, Nico
0: yep. Hulkenberg, um, yeah, many uh, Fernando Alonso.
1: Hulk- Alonso but I mean yeah I mean I guess Alonso is probably the best one to uh, compare him to and then maybe even uh, Nico Hulkenberg I mean Fernando I think uh, you know I I think he's still driving at an incredibly good uh, level I mean it'll be interesting to see how Hulkenberg does because he's sort of been a little bit in and out of the car over the last what two years now because he's sort of like slotted in as a reserve driver so I mean he's one guy I'm going to be looking at I mean it's certainly like your Kevin Magnuson's on up just because you know that that's more that that cohort's more where Denny Ricardo fits into, rather than the the, the younger drivers like Alex Albon and Esteban uh, Ocon, and uh, and guys like that. Yeah, I'm not Ocon- saying it can't be done. Alcon
0: and Albon probably aren't good comps simply because they're so much younger than Daniel Ricciardo, but maybe Magnussen and Hulkenberg are good comps simply because- I think so. Because they're similar age and they both left the sport for involuntary reasons where of course, Fernando left the sport very much on voluntary. I I think at that point he had burnt every bridge in Formula One, so maybe it wasn't necessarily a voluntary (laughs) departure from Formula One, but I think K-Mag and Nico based on their ages is pretty similar. And I think if he could lean into what Nico did, because of course, Nico- has not left the world of formula one he's been testing 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 in the sim has been doing reserve driver stints like he stayed close to the sport and i think if he had left f1 yeah. entirely and chased the indie dream or done sport car or touring car i don't think he would have been an option but i think the fact that he's had this physical presence in the grid and has been in and around cars both the previous generation and the current generation helped uh so i think well it's a break you, you know it's not going to be the 23 grand prix grind that i think a lot of these other drivers are going to go through next Year, I just think it's incredibly valuable for him to be there because I think there's some muscle memory and I think there are some real conditioning conditioning challenges to not being in a Formula One car for a period of 12 months. And when you're 35, 36 years old and you haven't been in a car for a year, that's a really tough sell to a team and sponsors to bring you in.
1: Yeah, 100%, right? Okay, uh time to take another break here. When we come back, we're going to talk about the uh Abu Dhabi post-season test and a bunch more things after that. So don't go away, we'll be right back. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Okay, welcome back. So, yes, uh, after the season uh, finished up last weekend, there was a little bit of testing at uh, Yas Marina. Uh, The final day of uh, action on the track saw two tests running concurrently at Yas Marina this past uh, Tuesday. Each of the team provided one car for Pirelli tire testing, and uh, they were... No, it was all the usual suspects, plus a bunch of the uh, younger drivers, uh, because uh, a lot of the teams were also uh, carrying out a young driver test. So the final leaderboard is interesting here. You had uh, Carlos Sainz, Charles Leclerc, and Robert Schwartzman, who uh, were all driving for Ferrari. Carlos's uh, fastest time was a 125.245. He did uh, 65 laps in the car. Car uh, Sorry, Charles Leclerc's fastest time was uh, a 125.383. He did uh, 56 laps. And then Robert Schwartzman, this is impressive, a 125.4. And he did a, a, a total of 116 laps. And then uh, you had uh, Pierre Gasly uh, for Alpine, Max Verstappen, uh, Alex Albon, and uh, Logan Sargent, both lapping in the uh, the high 125s or the low 126s. Nick, uh, Nick DeFries. Lapping in the one uh, low one twenty sixes, Nick putting in a hundred and fifty one laps. That is a very very impressive amount of uh, miles that uh, that he logged. And I think just going through the uh, the charts here, it looks like uh, Nick De Vries, uh, put in more work than uh, than anyone else. Uh, but you look, uh, there's uh, some of the uh, the other young drivers. Uh, you had uh, Liam Lawson uh, put in a one twenty six point two eight one in the in the Red Bull. Jack Dewan in the Alpine, a one twenty six two nine seven. And a, a name that we're looking at uh, for next year, Oscar Piastri said a uh, 126.340, so about 1.1 seconds off the fastest time from Charles Leclerc. They had Felipe Drugovic in the Aston Martin, the young Brazilian uh, logging to 126.595. So pretty, pretty interesting stuff. Um, Lewis Hamilton, his fastest time was uh, 126.75. George Russell, he was second slowest with point. Two four uh, zero. So there you go. I mean, uh, of course, this is testing. I don't think you need to get uh, too concerned at uh, you know Lewis's time or George's time. And uh, this is uh, very much uh, to test tire compounds and things like that for for twenty twenty three. Biggest
0: takeaway Any, from anything this? that. Yeah, yes, my, I was just going to ask you what popped for you, Hammond. My biggest takeaway from this was the fact that Fernando Alonso was out there driving an Aston Martin. But because he's technically yes. still on loan from Alpine, because he's technically not an Aston Martin driver yet, he did his mm. testing in a delivered Aston Martin. So a blank canvas, a beautiful, stunningly pearl green Aston Martin without any advertising on it. So if you get the chance and you want to go and check it out, I would encourage you to do so. And it was reminiscent of the fact that back in 2006, when he was still under contract to Renault after the season was concluded and he won the championship for Renault, he actually did the same thing testing for McLaren while still under contract to Renault. And he did so in a McLaren that was bare of advertising and sponsorship. So that was pretty cool to see. And the only other big thing in here is like you said, like it's not, I think the key thing here for drivers is simply to get the reps and put in as many laps as possible. The teams want the data. The drivers want the data. The drivers need the reps, especially a lot of these young drivers that are coming into the championship next year for the first time. Um, but the other thing that I thought was really interesting was just seeing some of these drivers out there for the first time, looking at the, their feedback regarding the 2023 Pirelli compounds because, of course, the compounds are going to be a little bit different next year. But, But yeah, otherwise, it, a couple of days of winter testing. But yeah, it was uh, it was good to see. Otherwise, and now we move in officially to the the winter sessions or the winter season.
1: Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting to see some of these times. But I was very very impressed that uh, that that Robert Schwartzman was able to lap so closely to Charles Leclerc and uh, Carlos Sainz in that uh, Ferrari. I mean that that's very very impressive, and I'm putting in a hundred plus uh, laps as well. Okay, uh, next story is that apparently the uh, the Chinese Grand Prix at the uh, Shanghai International Raceway will be canceled for for next year. This has kind of been it's this this one's been Sort of popping up in the news or in the in the rumor mill every once in a while over the past uh, several months. So it just seems like it's it's going to be inevitable. Now we haven't been to China since uh, 2019, and it seems that the China says zero COVID policy and the fact that uh, Formula One staff would not be given exemptions from quarantine rules and that the the fact they might have to be locked down if they uh, become test uh, or test uh, COVID positive is uh, going to be the uh, you know the the, the big issue. There, because as we've seen in other parts of the world, even here in Canada, which is a great news that you know COVID requirements now, if you you test positive, are much much different and much more lenient than even this past summer. So I mean things have changed, and I mean and uh, you know touch wood that things uh, continue the, the the way that they are because uh, we're, we're pretty much back to normal as we were before the pandemic all started a couple of years ago. So this would be a bit of a shame if it does, uh, you know, does come to pass. Like I said, it's it's considered that this is going to happen at some point. Formula One has not made uh, any comment or any confirmations about that. And uh, Stefano Stefano Domenicali certainly hasn't made any official announcements as well. So just seems like it's going to happen at at some point. uh, Well, who knows when?
0: Yeah, it's reported as well that F1 does not plan to backfill this race, that they will not be replacing it, which means as it stands, there will be a four-week break between the Australian Grand Prix and Baku because, of course, that's the way the calendar had kind of initially been laid out, so there will be a significant Mm. break. It sounds like, or at least it's being reported, that uh, Formula One has approached the Baku race organizers and asked them to bring that race forward a week to reduce some of the, the time off between the two championships or. The, between the two Grand Prix. Baku has resisted this. So if in fact the Chinese Grand Prix gets canceled, there will be a four-week break. The other thing that I should quickly comment on because I didn't know where Yikes. else to put this in the in the outlet or in the outline of the podcast today is uh next year, just kind of speaking to the 2023 calendar. F1 as a reminder is planning. sprint race weekends in azerbaijan in austria in belgium in qatar in the united states in austin and brazil so six sprint races next year but uh, potentially a Hmm. awkward four-week gap in the calendar between australia and baku
1: so what dates would that actually be because that's going to be on the on the front end of the season right yeah yeah, I, I don't immediately have those uh, dates uh, in, in front of me, but uh, yeah, that would be a, a bit of a bummer. Um, looking on some uh, at some other news here now, uh, Pirelli said that uh, overtaking in 2022 is up 30 percent from 2021. They said after uh, 22 races uh, last season there were 599 recorded overtakes in 2022 that increased to 785. So uh F1 um, uh, chief or Pirelli F1 chief uh, Mario Sola said that only proper overtakes were counted in the analysis, meaning that uh, the numbers were not influenced by cars pitting or dropping down the order because of uh, mechanical issues or something like that. As Sola had to say, quote, unfortunately it's difficult to have a statistic where if they overtake each other two or three times in a lap, Uh, Like, I don't know, Jeddah or some other races. But then on the main straight, they are in the same position. You don't get this because it's too difficult. It's just real overtaking. I believe it's a very good number, 30% more, considering that is informed by the facts. So it's not exaggerated. It's quite a good point, end quote. So that's, you know, a bit of a mishmash. I'm not... (laughs) (laughs) a <laughs> bit of an interesting yeah. quote there Six, but 600 you know, the,
0: overtakes in 2021 versus 785 overtakes this year i think that i think we can yeah. chalk that up as being a success and of course it's due to all the things that we talked about earlier this year the fact that the cars are easier to follow and the underbody ground effects mm-hmm. are are creating less kind of noisy turbulent air like the things that f1 promised even if the championship itself was a little bit of a letdown this year the building blocks that they're putting in place are are definitely working. And this kind of feeds into the next story, and I'll jump ahead of myself here, but 780-odd overtakes this season. The champion for the most overtakes, the most individual overtakes this year, and of course, these numbers are a little bit awkward because if you typically qualify well and you start at the front of the grid, you're not going to have a ton of overtaking opportunities. But Fernando Alonso finished with 71 overtakes this year, the most in Formula One, followed by Lewis Hamilton with 63, Zhu with 62, Signs with 61, and Verstappen and Stroll tied for fifth with 57. And this is interesting as well. The most overtaken drivers of the year, uh, Mr. Magnuson, Kevin Magnuson with 101 overtakes. Schumacher was overtaken 99 times. Latifi was overtaken 79 times. Stroll was overtaken 67 times. And Zhu was overtaken 63 times. So hopefully that contextualizes that roughly 10% of all of the overtakes that happened during the 2022 season were performed by Mr. Fernando Alonso.
1: That uh, That is an amazing stat. You know, that's uh, that's really quite uh, impressive when you think about it. Okay, so getting a little sort of off topic here, but apparently Red Bull's headquarters were hit by Ukraine protest uh, not so uh, long ago. So they, uh, they were invaded by uh, campaigners outside Salzburg, and they unfurled a huge 400-square-meter uh, batter depicting uh, Russian uh, leader Vladimir Putin ra- riding the company's famous Red Bull logo. Unlike uh, most of the global brands, the energy drink refused to cut ties with uh, Russia, and the caffeinated beverage is still on sale in supermarkets across the country. And this is uh, according to an article on Deadline DeadlineNews.co.uk. So interesting, eh? So apparently this was uh, organized by a group called the Ukraine Solidarity uh, Project. It's a network of European and Ukrainian activists uh, that are exposing global brands like uh, Red Bull, for what they call regressive policies on Putin's uh, Russia, so uh, there you go.
0: I didn't actually realize, my friend, because of course I think we're all very sensitive to which global brands are continuing to do business in Russia after the invasion of Ukraine earlier this year. But I was pretty surprised yeah. and very disappointed to learn that Red Bull is still very much selling their product in that country, which to me is is a non-starter. And I, I don't mean to I don't mean to make this super political, but it's just really disappointing when so many global brands like Pepsi and Coca-Cola and McDonald's and Burger King and Subway and virtually every automotive manufacturer, including Mercedes, who has just exited the Russian car maker after selling off the bulk of its assets, that so many of these global brands could so quickly exit and make a statement to Vladimir Putin, the Russian government that, hey, you know what, invading and trying to occupy a completely sovereign neighboring state is unacceptable. It's just really disappointing that Red Bull continues to do business in this country. And this protest that you speak to, which had that gigantic... 400-square-meter banner with Putin riding the the Red Bull with the slogan that said, Red Bull gives Putin wings. This was complemented by another protest that actually happened at Red Bull's Milton Keynes factory, where a message was projected onto the side of the F1 racing headquarters um, with a slogan and an appeal uh, to Max Verstappen personally to help campaign to get Red Bull out of the Russian domestic drinks market.
1: Yeah, there you go. I, I did get a chance to um, uh, to to throw this into the uh, the the show outline, so I'm I can't speak 100 uh, uh, percent to the accuracy. But I thought uh, I read something a little bit earlier today that uh, Mercedes is uh, thinking of uh, completely uh, removing their their brand, their cars uh, from yeah. sale in Russia. So yeah, they're one yeah, of the that, few that still amazing. remains.
0: They're one of the few that still remains. So most uh, most international global auto manufacturers have exited and sold off their assets. It's a little bit trickier, I think, for automotive of brands to just pack up and go because if you're a drinks producer, you literally have a one-time relationship with your consumer, right? They give a store a dollar and the store gives them your beverage and you sell the beverage to the stores. But when you're selling automobiles, there are lifetime contracts associated with warranties and service agreements. And of course, there's also finance mm-hmm. financial obligations that typically if you're a big time auto manufacturer, you provide some sort of financing arrangements for consumers as well. So yep. I think it's been a little bit more complicated, but as of, I think, October 26th Mercedes has officially exited the Russian car market or is almost completely exited the Russian car maker or car market following other brands such as Nissan and and Mazda and many many others.
1: Uh, amazing amazing Okay, so let's uh, go now, and this is always uh, fun to talk about, uh, driver salaries. So this uh, is courtesy of uh, uh, Forbes.com, and uh, they they do kind of um, have a caveat at the end of this article where they do state that uh, very few of the Formula One driver salaries are publicly available. So they uh, generated their on-track compensation estimates uh, in uh, collaboration with uh, one of their contributors, uh, Caroline Reed of the the, uh, uh, Formula Money. So these estimates are based on a number of things, including financial documents, legal filings and press leaks, as well as conversations with uh, industry insiders and uh, are rounded up or down to the nearest million. So coming in at number one is um, no surprise here. The the two time world champion, Max Verstappen, at 60 million. Lewis Hamilton, number two, with at 55 million. Then a big drop off after Max and Lewis. Then third is Fernando at uh, 30 million, Sergio Perez, 26 million, Charles Leclerc, 23 million. And then a bit of a, a drop-off again after Charles. Uh, Sebastian Vettel is, uh, s- uh, took home $17 million, as did uh, Danny Ricardo. Carlos Sainz, $15 million. And then rounding out in uh, ninth and 10th, Lando Norris took home $11 million this past year. And then George Russell, fitting that he's at number 10, considering he brought home a $10 million salary this uh, past year. Hammy. Thoughts on that? I guess it's no real surprise that uh, that who's at the top. But I must admit, I was a bit surprised to see Fernando at thirty billion dollars <laughs> at uh, at Alpine this past year. That that you know that was a bit of a wow moment. That to me. was
0: a to me as well, my friend. Like when I look at this list, I'm not surprised to see former world champions making a lot of money. But Fernando, of course, sure. on the the wrong side of forty and kind of racking up. Grand Prix after Grand Prix to still be making tens of millions of dollars is is pretty remarkable, and and it's funny too because in hindsight it might make more sense now why the Alpine board was somewhat reluctant to commit to a forty plus year old driver with a deal worth tens of millions of dollars per year, especially when Lawrence Stroll was willing to make that commitment over a multi year agreement. Kind of makes sense, but again especially in Formula One, all the power to these drivers for negotiating as much possible money as as they can. We know these teams are absolutely swimming in sponsorship money and prize money from the Constructors' Championship. I would rather see the drivers earn this money than anybody else. They are literally the ones on the track risking their life and limb every single practice session, every single qualifying session and every single yep. Grand Prix. So it's great to see that they can they can monetize this experience as well. And kudos to Max Verstappen, two-time world champion, uh, salary like you said $40 million with bonuses of $20 million and of course Lewis Hamilton once again in the top 2, the top 3 at $55 million. And you and I have talked about the fact that look, Lewis Hamilton's going to continue to earn 50 plus million dollars a year for as long as he wants to commit to formula one so when we talk about him staying for another three or four or five years that could be a quarter of a billion dollars in race earnings not to mention the associated sponsorships there there's a, a, apparently 250 million reasons for lewis hamilton to stay in formula one so it's great to see the drivers earn as much as uh, as much as they do
1: yeah absolutely hey uh, why don't we take uh, one final break and then we come back uh, still got a couple more fun stories to to talk about so we'll do that in a moment so don't go away we'll be right back
0: another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where Bank of America can help for your financial to-dos Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals
1: Hey, welcome back. Still a couple more things to talk, uh, talk about this week but before we wrap it up. Uh, first one is a quote from Alpine team principal Otmar Safnauer who said, quote, I'm happy that our driver pairing with Esteban and Pierre is better than it would have been if we would have won that case. End quote. So when he means that case, the, he means that Oscar Piastri case. So that's a kind of a, an, an interesting quote. And I, I think that they do have a very, very solid uh, driver pairing with um, uh, Pierre Gasly and Esteban Ocon. And when it came down to it, <clears throat> Excuse me, you know, if you had Oscar uh, Piastri, like, why, why would you fight to, to keep, I think it was all legal wrangling just to, to make sure that they got the, the proper financial compensation? Because do you really want to force a guy to stay that doesn't obviously want to be there in the long run? Is
0: it just me, my friend? Or has the reputation of Otmar... Really taken a hit since he left Aston Martin. And so much of it is related to the fact that Fernando left that organization and he didn't know or wasn't informed or was the last person at Alpine to find out. Of course, they announced that that Oscar's going to be driving for them when, of course, he'd already negotiated a deal with Mercedes. And that was a terrible (laughs) look for this team. And now with a comment like this, he just seems super petty. And I quote again, I'm happy that our driver pairing with Esteban and Pierre is better than it would have been if we had won that quote, or that Piastri case, and of course, Piastri in brackets, but see, it sounds very, very, very defensive and very bitter, but it's amazing what a hit his his reputation has taken since he left Aston Martin, because I think we all reflected glowingly on his career, because of course, he was the one that very much stewarded that very much budget Force India operation for many, many years and helped them climb to fourth in the constructors one specific year. So it's it's unfortunate that uh, that his reputation has taken such a hit, at least in my eyes.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it it was kind of funny. I mean, the the, the way that I saw this uh, quote was I I took it from a a bit of a different angle. I was just like, well, okay, are you sort of based on this or or basing this on the fact that, uh, you you know, it's kind of like, uh, well... Pierre and Esteban are known quantities wh- within Formula One, where you know, Piastri is still yet to 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 prove himself in the sport. But yeah, that that is kind I stand of interesting. By when, the when way, you I it interpreted that... it.
0: I stand by the <laughs> what you said is perfectly <laughs> logical. Up, I... But I like the juicy the juicy interpretation that I have. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. No, I'm not going to try and uh, try and uh, you know convince you uh, otherwise. I'm just saying that uh, I did actually uh, take it from that point of view. But when you kind of lay it out that way, that certainly is a very, very interesting uh, perspective because it has not really been a good year for 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 Because I mean, when he was at uh, Racing Point slash Force India, I mean. That, that that was like a, a team that always did more with less, and I, I think he was kind of he really stood out as uh, you know at least in my mind as somebody that uh, did an exceptionally good job for a team that didn't really have a lot of resources, and they had some some good uh, results uh, with it. So, uh, sticking with uh, Fernando Alonso, so he now feels a hundred percent plus happy with his uh, move to, to Aston Martin. So, he, you talked about it a little bit earlier when we were just talking about uh, Abu Dhabi. We talked about it off uh, the beginning of the uh, the, the, uh, the 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 show here. Anyways, uh, Fernando said that he was quote happily surprised by everything end quote, and then uh, he further on went to say quote This year's car is not anywhere near of what we will run next year. I was not really it was. Sorry, it was not really to get confident or anything like that. It's not to get uh, going to be a continuation of this car or anything like that. For sure, they had a very strong weekend here. Sebastian Vettel qualified in front of me, so I don't think it was much of a difference between Aston Martin and Alpine on the weekend. I felt basically the same as well. I felt a very competitive car. Both Aston Martins finished in the points, so it was a good car anyway. So, Hammy, now's your opportunity. You had some stuff you wanted to say about Fernando Alonso you wanted to say and, and, uh, and Aston Martin. So, so now's your time to Haley, shine. I, hope. I
0: think this is going to be the. Ultimate test, the ultimate challenge for young Lance Stroll. And well, I keep saying young Lance Stroll, but he's been in Formula One for 2017, or since the 2017 (laughs) season. He has 122 Grand Prix race starts. It's remarkable how long he's been in Formula One. Despite all of that, though, he scored just the three podiums. He had obviously that remarkable Baku podium in, in Azerbaijan back in 2017, and he had a couple of podiums during the COVID shortened season in 2020. But this is the guy that I find to be Oh, probably the most frustrating guy in Formula One. And I am very firmly living on Lance Stroll Island because I believe the talent is there. But I just if 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 a pairing with Fernando Alonso can't can't take it out of him, can't pull that talent, those performances out of him. I don't know what will, and I'm still strongly of the mind that Lawrence Stroll was very strategic in bringing Sebastian Vettel to that team, and it was in part because Sebastian Vettel adds a tremendous amount of value in terms of developing the car. He adds a substantial amount of value to the team from a marketing perspective as a two-time world champion, but I also think it was because they wanted Lance to be able to see his work ethic, how he approaches races, how he prepares, and be able to read into his telemetry and a lot of his data. Um, I don't know that that necessarily came to came to bear the way that they were hoping that it would, and of course, Lance Stroll went from thirteenth in the constructor standings in twenty one to fifteenth this year. Of course, finished the season with a couple of points finishes, but had as many disappointing moments this year as he had uh, really exciting and, and terrific, and well executed moments. But I just I feel like pairing him with with Fernando Alonso is either going to bring the best out of Lance Stroll or possibly put us in a position where we're talking about how much runway does Lance Stroll have left in in Formula 1 after the 2023 championship because I have every reason to believe that Fernando Alonso will ring every ounce of performance out of that 2023 Aston Martin and you and I have been buying not literally but you and I have been buying so much Aston Martin stock for the last 2 years partly because we're mesmerized by the beauty of that green, that British racing green Aston Martin, but also because I think we buy into what Lawrence Stroll is doing with that project, which is investing tens or hundreds of millions of dollars into the factory and the team and investing in the road car division. like. I'm sold on all of that. It just, it hasn't manifested itself in the form of a really great Formula One racing car. And I have to think that while 21 was a disappointment and 22 was a disappointment with all the expectations that we had for that car, you got to think they're going to turn a corner, no pun intended, in 23 and deliver a great car. And I have every confidence that that Fernando Alonso is going to be able to deliver some exceptional performances. And if he does, it's going to put the spotlight firmly on Lance if he's not mirroring Fernando's Fernando's performances.
1: Yeah, it, it is going to be an interesting, interesting uh, dynamic uh, to watch with that team in in 2023. Fernando and Lance obviously at very, very different uh, points in their their career. And uh, you know, Lance is at the, the the benefit of being with this team now for more than a couple of years and has uh, kind of seen this car evolve. And uh, it, it's just going to be it's going to be interesting to watch because Fernando doesn't have a great track record of, you know, getting along well with his uh, teammates. And if anybody's going to be in it for the long haul at this team, it's it's going to be Lance compared to Fernando. Right. And it's just, uh, it kind of goes back to that, uh, you know, the comment from Connie earlier, and she was uh, saying, what, "What's the over on under before the, the relationship uh, between Lance and Fernando goes toxic?" And you were like winter testing it. I mean, I mean that that's only like half joking, right? I mean, I, I think there's a, a lot of seriousness uh, in, in that uh, in in that comment. Okay, a um, couple more things we wanted to, to talk on. So another one is an article from therace.com, and uh, this is uh, Five Reasons Williams Had Given Logan Sargent in F1. Uh, the first one is, uh, and the, the first two are driver related because they lost out on uh, uh, Oscar Piastri and uh, Nika DeFries. Uh, the third one was Williams wanting to back their own. So this is uh, basically uh, promoting one of their own uh, drivers. And then the, he's got a big uh, you know, upside on and off the track. So w- let's start with the with the, the first two. They lost out on uh, Oscar Piastri and then uh, Nick De Vries, uh went to, to Alpha Tauri. So do you think that, uh, well, wh- wh- where do you think, uh, compared to Piastri and De Vries, where do you think uh, Logan Sargent sort of falls into that uh, picture? Is it just to, because he was the, the basically the last person left standing after those other two and kind of that, um, kind of, he was, I guess, I wouldn't. I don't. Wouldn't want to say forced into the spotlight was, but it was just kind of yeah. in the spotlight for yeah, them yeah, because yeah. he was the only one left, right? It, it's
0: it's kind of a, a case of musical chairs, and and ultimately he was the, the last right. driver yeah. standing. And like you said, uh, this team Williams had designs and intentions of bringing Piastri in. That was always the plan because the assumption was or the expectation was that Alpine was going to resign Fernando Alonso, and of course that all went topsy-turvy as soon as Fernando signed with Aston Martin. And then, of course, the assumption at that point was DeVries, who was a Mercedes reserve driver and actually did a stint, that remarkable stint to the Williams car at Monza. The assumption was that he was going to get the ride. And of course, he caught the attention of Red Bull and Red Bull was able to put a really attractive offer in front of him to go to AlphaTauri. So suddenly those two mm-hmm. drivers were no longer options. Now, the the reality is Logan Sargent is one an American driver, so this could be Hugely beneficial to Williams from a marketing perspective, and it's going to be incredibly exciting to see how receptive the American audience is to an American driver who doesn't have the cachet as somebody like Colton Herta, because Colton Herta is a household name in the United States because he's been winning at a high level. Uh, yep. Logan Sargent has been working away as a member of the the Williams Driver Academy. He competed in Formula 3. He finished third in the championship in 2020, the year Oscar Piastri won the F3 championship. He finished fourth in the Formula 2 championship. So Williams always had intentions to mold him into a driver that would be equipped to drive a Williams Formula 1 racing car. So this shouldn't be totally surprising. And it's good to see an academy rewarding a young driver. Interestingly, this this occurred to me earlier today as well. He is now the third successive young North American driver that this team has picked up that comes from a billionaire family. Because of course, Lance Stroll went there in 2017, billionaire family, Course, Nicholas Latifi went there in 2020, billionaire family. And Logan Sargent himself comes from a billionaire family. And his older brother, his older brother Dalton, um, is also a known quantity in the world of motorsports because he's competed in some stock car championships. Not in the last couple of years, but he has competed professionally in stock car championships. So all of that to say, to all of that aside, he's done his reps in the lower formulas. He competed well in Formula Three. He competed well in Formula Two. I think, ideally, if given the choice, I think Williams would. Like like to have seen him have another year, another 20 races in Formula 2. That said, it wasn't an option and they had a need, go for it because um, it could make this team really attractive to American sponsors to have a young American driver in that seat.
1: Yeah, that's interesting because I, I really didn't know uh, too much about uh, Logan Sargent, uh, and I had uh, no idea what the uh, you know uh, about his background. But it's interesting, like uh, like you're saying that, uh, that you know this, this sort of like a uh, you know, billionaire connection has kind of like really popped up between uh, Williams and some of these uh, drivers. Especially, I mean, now it's even more irrelevant uh, th- th- than it was in the past, right? Because uh, you have the cost cap, and uh, like you were saying earlier, especially like in the 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 lower formulas, like Formula two formula three yeah, they're, they're all essentially i don't know
0: i don't know Sorry, go ahead yeah i just i don't know if he's bringing funding like when lance stroll with Wiz williams that was a pay driver role his dad brought a ton of funding to that team when nicholas latifi was with that team his dad brought a ton of funding to that team with, with Logan Sargent, I'm not totally convinced that Logan Sargent is bringing any funding to that team. And I think given the fact that he's actually come through their driver academy, I think he's very much there on merit. Because like you and I have talked about so much, my friend, the, the, the era of pay drivers at the Formula One level is just irrelevant now because with the cost cap, there's just so much more... Parity when it comes to funding the Formula One operations. That if you're only 150 million dollars mm-hmm. out of pocket for the bulk of your expenses, um, you don't need to rely on a kind of a, a subpar, less than stellar Formula One driver just because they're bringing 20 or 30 million dollars of, of funding. Like that's just not something that's relevant anymore. And if if you're picking a driver based on them bringing funding, then you're just making a bad business and bad sporting decision.
1: Yeah, interesting, right? And then the the, the final point uh, written by um, the the author of this article, Scott Mitchell Malm, is that uh, he's got big upsides uh, on the track, both on the track and off it. And specifically, he's uh, referring to uh, Logan uh, is, is American, the fact that the sport has just been growing in leaps and bounds in the USA over the past uh, couple of years. How, how important do you think that is? To to or to, to Williams that 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 Logan is an up and coming American driver. I think it's very even one that. Uh, yeah, sorry, I was just going to say that uh, even though considering he's not like a, a household name, like say Colton Herta was the other American that was linked uh, with Formula One. this well, year. So man, sorry, Hammy, I mean, jump know, back in. Let's here.
0: jump back seven years. I, I think a lot of people thought Alexander Rossi was going to be huge for Formula One in America, and it didn't make any difference. Of course, that said, it was during an era when the U.S. Grand Prix was on the verge of of disappearing from the calendar, and there were no eyeballs on live Formula One TV broadcast in the U.S. And I think it was on NBC Sportsnet at that point. But I think Harry or Harry that's uh, that's Logan's uncle's name. I think Logan's entering at the right time. But I also I'm still not convinced that. For Formula One to succeed in the United States, it needs an American driver at all. I think it's nice to have one, but mm-hmm. I think it's also important that that young driver show, show flashes of brilliance and be put in a situation where he can be successful. And Logan's a talented young driver for sure. Um, I think we very much need to treat this year as his, um, I don't know, sophomore year of Formula 2 because he only had that one year of reps in Formula 2. But I also worry because what has Williams shown us in the past four or five years to give any confidence in their ability to develop a a great car and maybe by the time they have a really great car, he's at the end of his runway anyway. So I wish him the best. I wish him a ton of success Um, and I do believe for Williams, which remember, Doralton is an American based firm, right? That this is a company that has deep pocketed American owners, even if they've not chosen to exercise exercise their credit card with great regularity, um, I think it will be important for them and it will help them broaden their appeal marketing wise in in the United States.
1: Yeah, 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 it'll be interesting, right? But uh, I th- I, I'm excited anytime you see like a new young driver coming into the sport, uh, regardless uh, where, where they're from. I'm, there's a couple of uh, exceptions uh, to that, but certainly interested uh, to see what Logan will do uh, in and out of the car. So finally, there's a um, you, you put this one in. So there was a a bit of a Twitter thread here from Mika Schumacher. Now the former. Hass driver. Uh, Anyways, uh, let me just uh, read this whole uh, thread out. So, uh, Mick had to say the 2022 season has come to an end. And with that, a chapter as well. I want to take this moment to thank everyone at Hass F1 for all their hard work over the last two years. I've been able to meet incredible people and build friendships that I will cherish for life. But I also want to thank you guys out there my followers, friends, and obviously family. For supporting me through thick and thin, you motivate me day in and day out to push further and to be a better person than I was yesterday. I don't know yet what next year will bring, but I'll know I'll work harder than ever to come back stronger and be the best version of myself. Thank you. So there you go. So that uh, <laughs> you've added in here to the show notes. Talk about incredibly <laughs> awkward <laughs> moment of MSC being scolded for doing donuts. Did you, did you see that after the race? Yes. Oh, that was so
0: embarrassing. I saw him doing
1: the donuts. It, well, it was so yeah, emb- I saw the donuts, but I. You did, did you hear yeah, that? I saw the donuts. You didn't hear the radio? No, oh, man. I, didn't. Okay. So, I didn't. I so didn't. So, after yeah. the race, as we see
0: in Abu Dhabi, there is a moment and it's actually choreographed, and drivers typically know where to go, where to position themselves, but drivers will typically go and do donuts. And it's a tradition for champions to do donuts, and it's a tradition for those drivers that are exiting the sports to do donuts. It's It's a way to celebrate their time, it's a great show for the fans. So, Mix out there doing donuts. And the, his, his Haas engineer comes on the radio and promptly scolds him for doing donuts and asks him to immediately stop. <laughs> and And so Mick complies and kind of sheepishly with his kind of tail between his legs, heads, heads back to the pits. But his response to the scolding was, okay, basically, okay, I love you too. So it was a very unceremonious way for him to end his two year <laughs> his two year journey with Haas, and it was funny. Haas received so much Haas received so much heat because of this. The fact that they couldn't let him enjoy his final potentially his final moments in a Formula One car without getting on the radio and blasting him in public. Uh, they came out later with some technical explanations for the fact that hey, you know what? In the event that you're doing donuts, there's always the danger that in a moment of inattention. Concentration is lacking. There could be straight on the gearbox. There could be straight on the clutch. There could be damage to the car, blah, 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 blah. Ultimately, it just showed that Haas are ultimately Ultimately, massive cheap skates and they couldn't in, They couldn't let Mick enjoy his final moments in a Haas Formula One car for fear that he was going to damage the gearbox of the transmission, which is total BS. So it was unfortunate to see, Mick, we're going to miss you. You're a great kid. And I think on behalf of the Skid Area F1 podcast, we would love to see you in F1 again uh, with a much more competitive car yep. and a team that knows how to nurture a young driver with a great racing pedigree.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it seems kind of funny for them to be scolding him uh, and, and saying all those things about like uh, you know the strain on the car, the gearbox, the engine. It's like, who, who cares? These cars are that, now who, that's exactly right? the
0: thing. Like, none of this is going to be carried over to next year. What are they trying to preserve?
1: Yeah, I don't know. Are they going to try and like, uh, you know, take this car apart and like, uh, you know, start using something on it? Like, I don't know, like strips of tape or some <laughs> some screws or something. They're literally, yeah, they're yeah, literally the
0: harvesting the screws for use next year. Yeah.
1: Scraping <laughs> well, the, the, the the stickers off the side of the off the side. Save pods. it for
0: twenty three. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Oh my goodness. Uh, There you go. All right, Hammy. I I think that's about all we got for, for, for this week. So on behalf of myself and Mr. Bark Hamilton, thank you for a wonderful season. Like, uh, Mark said off the uh, top of the show, uh, the off topic show is coming on Sunday or Monday. Plus, we'll have to do a season wrap at some point to uh, give it a little bit of sort of uh, time to kind of breathe and get a little bit of space after the end of the uh, after the the end of the season. But we have to go back and do a, a proper recap and talk about uh, some of my, uh, or our, I shouldn't just say my, some of our ups and downs and highs and lows and all the good and the bad of the season. So we'll do that very, very soon. And as Mark always says, but I'm not going to give him a chance uh, this week. Uh, if you could leave us a five-star rating review on Apple Podcasts. Spotify, etc. That uh, really does make a world of difference. Oh, you're going to jump One in. Thing, you, you, so yeah. you did a great job. But One Steve
0: thing. in the live chat just made a really great point and he says that they being Haas might have needed that car for winter testing and as I understand it, Haas didn't in fact have any spare transmissions or clutches with them. Um, I, believe, I believe I might be wrong. So uh, they were in fact possibly trying to preserve the car because they didn't have any spare parts or didn't want to spend the money on the spare parts that would have been necessary to fix it if he had broken it so again still shame on Haas but Steve makes a really great point he,
1: may, they- <laughs> he, he does he does yeah totally cool but uh, we'll, we'll we'll still bash them for, for being spoil sports so 100%,
0: 100%. <laughs> There's that. that's, just 100%. How,
1: that's how we're rolling this week anyways uh, again thank you all to uh, one and all for, for for listening to the show if you want to get in touch uh, do so on Twitter at ScooteryF1Pod or send us an email ScooteryF1Pod at gmail.com everyone uh, in the live chat thank you for hanging out and we'll see you guys again in a couple of days and again last moments of thanksgiving enjoy that enjoy uh, black friday enjoy all the leftovers and we'll talk to you again in a couple of days bye for now